Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 400 of So You Want to Be a Writer. Woo-hoo. My name's Valerie Koo. Woohoo, exactly. And <laughs> I'm Sorry, co-host. did I come in? Too, was I too early with the parade there? Sorry about that. But you can come in as early as you like, Al. But uh, okay. yes, if anyone is a new listener, my name's Valerie Koo, and I'm co host and CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with my partner in crime for 400 episodes, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of many, many books, including the Mapmaker Chronicles series, the Adaban Cipher series, and most recently, the Firestar of Maven and Reeve Mystery. How are you, Al? Well, I'm tired. Like 400 episodes. What were we thinking? <laughs> oh, I can't actually believe we got. Do up you to remember? I, I'm like I was thinking <laughs> about this the other day because I was saying to someone, uh, for reasons that I shall that shall become clear as this actually sort of unfolds a bit. But I was saying to someone that kind of everything I've ever done in my whole entire life was all. Oh, that seems like it might be a good idea. Let's have a crack at that. <laughs> and I remember you saying, "Oh." I think we should do a podcast. And I'm like going, what, why would we do that? Like, what are we going to, what, what? And you're like, let's, let's talk about writing on the podcast. And I'm like, why, why would we do that? Will people listen? Apparently they will, Val. Apparently. <laughs> I remember actually before, like um, one of the things that I got done before I talked to you about it properly was I actually got someone to create the podcast artwork so that it seemed real. And I said, what do you think of this idea, Al? And there I was. Well, I and there really you were away. on the cover. can't really not do it now, can I? I'm on the artwork. Uh, <laughs> um, well, big, big, big um, thank you to all of our listeners for some of you have been sticking with us for 400 episodes. Some of you have discovered us later and are going through the back catalogue and thank you for all of those messages. We really appreciate it because obviously this is a labour of love for Al and I and what keeps us going is just the feedback from you guys. So thank you very much for all of that. I absolutely love it. It makes me laugh so much when you know someone discovers us at episode 317 and then <laughs> sets themselves the task of catching up and they're sort of like so they're listening to the current episode I've I've listened to four episodes this week and I've only got (laughs) you know 297 to go and I'm thinking that's a lot of Val and Al in your ears on a regular basis so thank you for sticking with us and for actually you know going through all that stuff but I have to say also thank you to all the authors Huge shout oh, out yes, to all absolutely. of the authors mm. that have participated in our interviews um, over the years because I think we have been incredibly lucky. Um, yeah. Everyone has just been so generous with the information that they give mm. us, with the tips that they offer, with the insights that they share. And, I mean, I know, like I talk about this all the time, but, you know, I learn something from every from every interview um, that we that we have, and I mm. and I hope that um, our listeners do as well, because it's just you know listening to how other people do things is just an incredible way of either you know saving yourself an enormous amount of time, because let's face it, like having to make all your billions of mistakes and then get to the point where you mm. have that insight yourself, um, or just thinking about different ways of doing things, and you may not necessarily want to do that, but it it can sometimes unlock a little bit of creativity or a little bit of practice or something that you hadn't considered before. And I think that that's so worthwhile. So thank you to all of the authors, you know, big shout out and a cheer for you too. 
Absolutely. And my biggest advice for anyone who is new, who is cherry picking, now there's nothing wrong with cherry picking, but if you're cherry picking because you're only listening to episodes with authors that are in your particular genre, you are actually doing yourself a disservice. I really encourage you to listen across all genres because I guarantee you will learn stuff that you can bring into your own writing and your own genre. Some of the gems come from the most unexpected places and it's being open to that kind of advice and wisdom from all different authors that I think is really, really useful. So um, we want to say a big shout out to Jimmy Bond, Mr. Bond from Australia. (laughs) who kindly left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts um, entitled Freaking Fantastic. Uh, Jimmy Bond, Mr. Bond, (laughs) said, this is a recent podcast discovery of mine and it's become utterly addictive. It's now part of my every week and almost every day I'm working on eliminating the almost. As a writer, this is brilliant, motivating and informative. But as a reader, it's sublime as it reveals the inside stories into some of our much-loved novels and the conversations between the two gals is like enjoying a cuppa with two besties. Even if you're not a reader, I'd recommend it. Stories are the stuff of life and this podcast is brimming with them. Oh, oh that's so lovely. Michael. Oh, Jimmy, welcome Happy. to our morning cup of tea. <laughs> it's so nice to have you with us. Yes, absolutely. I'm drinking French Earl Grey. I wonder what you've got, Jimmy. Do let us know. <laughs> let us know in the Facebook group because our wonderful listeners, a lot of you are in the Facebook group. If you haven't yet joined, just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. It is one of the most lovely, lovely, lovely Facebook groups that, that I'm in and I absolutely love it. So thank you for everyone, all the listeners who are in there supporting each other um, because writing is such a solitary exercise, isn't it, Al? And it's just oh, yes. so good to be with other like-minded people, I think. Well, that's right. It just gives you someone to bounce things off and ask questions and just, you know, share some of that silly – Like, I think some of my favourite threads, my favourite conversations in that group are just, you know, someone shares a ridiculous meme and everybody <laughs> shares their experience about that ridiculous meme. Sometimes it's me sharing the ridiculous meme now that I think about it. Um, but, yeah, and there's a lot of we, – we always try to keep um, up to date in there with, uh, you know, competitions that are happening or if I see yeah. something around the traps because, you know, I spend way too much of my life wandering around on social media. I try to share things that I think will be useful. So, yeah, come and say hello to us. We'd love to see you there. Wonderful. All right, so – Episode 400 is all about you, listeners. So what we did was we posted in the Facebook group a little while ago saying that if you have any questions you would like us to answer, we would do so on the 400th episode. We are going to do that. We are also going to include our usual things like our competition, our giveaway, our very exciting word of the week and so on. Very exciting (laughs) and word of the week are really not necessarily concepts that go together, yes, but we are. are going to have a – I, I have to say that I love it when everyone sort of like says, I love the word of the week. Sorry, Al. There's always <laughs> a little brackets. Sorry, Al, next to it. Makes me laugh. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get started and we're just going to go through in the order in which um, they were posted. So our first question is from Matt Dewar, who has said, uh, is it possible to get a few interviews from self-published and indie authors? I think they could really add some valuable insight into that line of publishing for podcast listeners. 
Well, Matt, we have to say we have interviewed many indie authors, haven't Mm. we, Al? We have, and I have no memory of who they are right now, but we definitely have. um, I know Jodie Gibson, we interviewed uh, Hugh Howey, we interviewed Jodie Gibson, we interviewed Joanna Penn um, off the top of my head, but we We are going to actually, to make it easy. That's right. To make it easy, we are actually going to put a list together, create a post, Mm -hmm. and we will share that into the um, podcast group. But, of course, the other thing to remember is that we are always looking for interesting interviews, and so there will always be um, a mix of traditional and self-published interviews um, and authors as we go through with the podcast. Um, We can be a little bit eclectic about where we get our interviews and how we go about it because we interview people that interest us as well Mm. as thinking um, that they will interest you and have, you know, something valuable to offer. So um, we we do tend to schedule ourselves out well in advance. There are indie authors coming up and we will do our best to share uh, what we can. And, of course, you know, Val and I actually uh, indie published our own book. So mm. um, there is that. Yes, of course. So so you want to be a writer uh, based on this podcast, of course, and it goes through all of the steps you need to take if you want to be a writer. So both Al and I have been traditionally published and indie published. So um, it's uh, certainly a very different and interesting experience, both of them. Um, but So You Want to Be a Writer is indie published. And um, for you, Matt, we are going to create a blog post that lists the indie published indie published authors so that you can have them all in one spot. What was, right. Let me ask you this question before you move on. I'm yes. going to have my own question in here. Go on. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from that indie publishing experience when we did So You Want to Be a Writer? Mm, I think that, uh, well, a couple of the benefits of indie publishing, of course, is that you can get to market quicker. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were both very fortunate because we have had the background in traditional publishing and we have a background in, well, publishing generally. So we are very familiar with the steps that are required. Um, yeah. And so we kind of had that foundation already. So we knew the steps that we needed to take to get it to the finishing line. That's um, right. One of the one of the other things is that you need to, if you are going to indie publish, you need to treat it almost like a business because yep. the writing is just one percent of it. Mm. <laughs> if you want to indie publish, the rest of it, the sales, marketing, distribution, design, everything, everything is such a massive part of it, which is why so many people, you know, go to traditional publishers as well because they're not interested in doing those sorts of things. So you do have to have an interest in doing all the rest of the steps of the process if That's you want right. to be indie published. And that's, I think, and and it's an interest. It was an interesting exercise for me too because I, um, one thing we had the pla- we also had a platform in, to, yeah. to deliver our to deliver our our finished product, um, which I think you know is a huge part of the job as well. So we had done a lot of work in a whole range of different areas for that particular publication, but the thing I think that still surprised me, and I still really stood out for me, was just the number of decisions involved in in bringing a book to oh, market yeah. like that. Mm. It's a little bit like renovating a house where <laughs> you go, I'm going to get myself a new kitchen and then there you are going, which tap do you want? Do I need to mm. choose the colour of the grout? What the kind tiles, of drain do we need? Do we need, a, you, know, mm. you know, are we going to have this kind of bath? I, you know, I've come to the realisation and, it, you know, this is, this is a lifetime's worth of experience that has brought me to this realisation, but um, I don't 
have strong opinions necessarily on what font my book is in. (laughs) I don't – as long as it can be read and it looks okay, I'm like, all right. And for me to have to get into the nitty-gritties of serif versus, you know, sans serif (laughs) and and what what size and how much spacing and what what kind of letting are we going to have and all that – um, I realised that that is one of the reasons that uh, traditional publishing works best for me because mm. I like to send it, get it back and go, that looks great, and then that's it. That's me done. Um, and I think that you really have to want to do the nitty-gritty uh, of that and of that business to mm. to do it well, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I mm. think that um, uh, you need to be informed. It's not just making a decision about whether that font's better or that font's be- better. <laughs> if you actually don't know, then, then you're not making an informed decision. So it's actually, it's a very big learning curve um, if you really haven't is. done it before, if you don't have yeah. a background in publishing. Um, all right. So our next question is from Louise, who said, how do we write a great elevator pitch? What is the secret ingredient to make it magical? And uh, I clarified that it, uh, Louise means for her book. So an elevator pitch for her book. And um, I actually have an answer for that. You do? Yes. I'm pleased to hear it. <laughs> is it okay. going to be an elevator pitch style answer that you're going to give us? Possibly. Okay. Well, I think because I um, help people with their elevator pitches in many situations, not just for books, but like, you know, um, just for their professions, with a book, you are very much selling your book. So an elevator pitch for your book is a short, pithy sentence or two Um about your book that's going to make people want to know more. And that's the key. It's to make people want to know more. It's not to give away the entire plot. And don't mistake an elevator pitch for basically reciting your synopsis, which I have heard before as well, Mm. because it needs to be short and pithy the amount of time it takes for you to ride an elevator. So you need to um, start with the person. It might be people, but, you know, the main person or character or characters um, and describe the situation they're in. Now, that situation may be um, geographic, like the wilds of Tasmania, or that situation might be literally situational, like trapped in a loveless marriage or something like that, you know, just their situation. But also you then need to describe what they want. So the big thing that they want to achieve, they want to achieve X, you know, get out of the marriage or get out of the the cave that they're lost in in Tasmania or whatever. And then you need to describe the challenge that they are facing. They're trying to get out of the cave in Tasmania, but it's pitch black and they can't say whatever. I don't know. Mm. Um, but people then need to know, and this is a key p- uh, key thing, the prize or the consequence. So if they achieve their goal, they will do, do this. If they don't achieve their goal, they will do this. And then it's what's going to happen. to. And the book is which one is going to eventuate. So I think it's those five elements in a very short, uh, short sentence or two um, that makes a good elevator pitch because then it should make people want to know, oh, my goodness, are they going to make it out of the wilds of Tasmania or the loveless marriage or whatever it is? That's my well, take I think on that's it. excellent, excellent advice. <laughs> I think that you probably crashed into the basement by the time you got to the bottom of that. <laughs> But I was uh, making the description. I was also providing instruction. If I was actually saying the elevator pitch, uh, it would have been shorter than what I just said. Yes. So 
I totally agree with what you've just said. And I still remember that I think one of the best interviews that we ever did on this particular subject was the one we did with Amy Kaufman. Oh, yeah. Um, where she talked about her pitching process. And that was episode 276. So it's a long, long time ago. Um, but I do remember, I'm just trying to remember what she said about it. I'm just going to find it for you. Okay. Um, so she says, I'm actually just going to read you what she says here. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, so blah, blah, blah. You get in a lift with an elevator and they say, what's your book about? And you've got until the fourth floor to tell them it needs mm -hmm. to fit into that time. So your elevator pitch is something like so-and-so lives in a castle and began their day thinking this. Now, unless they can find the dark magician, they may never do whatever again. So you want to you want to get the stakes into mm, the story yes. as well. Like the stakes are really important. Like if you know they will lose everything, it's yes, that kind of thing that you need. Yes. So so and so and so and so have to do this thing, but there's a dark magis magician, um, and if they can't defeat the dark magician, then they will lose everything. So you it literally comes down to almost a movie poster. Like you kind of yeah. got to think about what it's going to look like on the wall at the movies and it's you are looking for the absolute essence of the book. Yeah. That's what you're looking for, the essence of the book and that's what the pitch is. Um, when something happens to a person, they must, you know, there's got to be some action or there will be consequences and that's where your elevator pitch comes in. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. So I hope that's helpful, Louise. So mm. Belinda has said, um, I'd love to hear from you both about how much deliberate planning has gone into building the kind of writing career you wanted and how much has been just opportunities presenting themselves. That's a good question, Belinda. It is a good go, question. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say I think I answered that question earlier and I don't think it's necessarily about opportunities presenting themselves so much as it is about I'm going to have a crack at that and see what happens, creating mm. opportunities for yourself in a way. So it's not I'm going to wait for something to happen to make me think I might write a book. It's going to be I might write a book and see what happens. And I think that that's kind of what my my approach to kind of my entire writing life has always been. Um, so, for instance, I got my start as a journalist because mm. – um, I decided uh, when I finished school that I, I didn't want to go to university because I was I was going to have to I had to I knew I was I had to leave my small hometown to go to the big smoke to go to university and I knew because I know myself um, that I was going to find that incredibly distracting and that probably flunk out of my first year of uni. Like, you know, like you just kind of got to know yourself a little bit, right? I knew that I was going to go to Sydney and I was going to have a good time. So I said to my dad, I'm not going to uni. I'm going to go to business college and learn to be a secretary because at that point I also was planning to be an actor. And I thought, well, at least if I'm an actor um, who can type, I'll mm -hmm. at least be able to earn myself a, a, a living because I knew I was a terrible waitress. I'd already done mm -hmm. that and I was terrible at it. So that's what I did and I went to Sydney and I did my one-year um, you know, business college course and I got a job at a publishing company as a secretary on a magazine called 
um, I was I was on a magazine called Your Computer was uh, was one of them, and Electronics Australia. So those were my two magazines that I was working on, and I was the person who did the typing, sent out the projects when people wrote in because they wanted to make a, a radio from 1964 um, and stuff like that. That's what I did. And I, have, I put myself into that sort of world and then uh, I overheard at the photocopying machine one day the person who had the one cadetship in the company saying that she was going to go and do home economics at university and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to go and see the editor-in-chief and say I think you should give me the job. Just to see, just just to see what happens. Yes. And I went, and they looked at me, and they went, "Why would we? Why would we do that?" And I said, "Well, you can give me some, you know, some tests, and I'll have a crack at them, and we'll see how we go." So they gave me some tests. I wrote a story. I did some editing, and they gave me the job. So it's kind of like I think it's about for me, a writing career is about being active and putting yourself in in places. So being a person who's writing, being a person who's going to, you know, writing festivals, being someone who's active on social media, it, I mean, it, it makes it so much easier to connect with the industry these days through social media. So be someone who's on Twitter, who's on some of those places and can see, you know, who's in our Facebook group, can see the opportunities as they come yeah. up because you're in the right place, you're there, you know what's, you're starting to get a sense of what the industry is all about. You're listening to the podcast, you're reading the books, you're doing the courses, you're learning how things work. Um, and, and, and then you sort of, you have a go, you put your manuscript in the competition, you do, you know, whatever it is that, that comes up. And that's, so it's, you can't, you have to, you can't be passive and have a mm. writing career. People are not going to come knocking on your door to read your genius novel. You <laughs> have to put your novel out there. And I think that that's, kind of how it goes. And from that point of that photocopying machine conversation, um, yes, you know, things have kind of like, well, you, because I was in the industry, I heard about different things that happened. I took myself to London and I applied for jobs, but I had experience because I'd worked in Australia. So I got jobs, you know. So, yeah, like what, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But I think, you know, it's about kind of like, building on what you already know how to do, but trying new things all the time and just putting your hat in the ring. You have nothing yeah. to lose except you might get a no, you know. And over the years, of course, I just, you know, I have a, a very thick skin about these things, you know, and, mm. I, and I know that that thick skin takes a long time to develop. But really you don't have anything to lose by having a, having a crack. Oh, that's what I think anyway. Yeah. What about you, Val? Yeah. How much oh, of absolutely. yours has been deliberate? <laughs> um, early in my career, not a lot was deliberate, I must admit. I mean, I'd go for things in that, but I think that I sometimes I just went, it was having a crack, as you, as you mentioned, mm. but I wasn't a, a very strategic early in yeah. my career. Yeah. And I did let opportunities present themselves and just think oh I don't know I'll just try that mm. <laughs> and um, in retrospect it might not have been an efficient way to get to where I wanted to go but I didn't necessarily know where I wanted to go at the time mm. uh, but also it gave me really good experience so trying something that I wouldn't normally have done or that you know just appeared and I thought I'd um, see what it was like uh, that really helped me gain experience in areas that um, I otherwise wouldn't have. So it was all really useful in the end. Later in my career, so, you know, more towards now, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm more strategic. Mm. I still ha allow a, a small amount of things to just happen mm. because – 
you just never know where they will lead. That's but right. It used to be a lot more like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that one one thing that um, uh, a lot of people expect to be discovered or expect that, you know, someone will read their writing and go, oh, wow, amazing. Um, and, of course, I'm slightly different in that I write more so nonfiction and I've written several nonfiction books and I do a lot of nonfiction freelance writing. But um, I remember once I saw this ad in the paper or I actually don't remember where I saw it, but it was for a full-time editor um, for this uh, lavish book on hotels. Now, the thing is I'm secretly obsessed with hotels. Mm. I love – You're secretly obsessed with lots of things. Well, lots of things, but I love hotels, love, love, love hotels, nice hotels. Um, I can't afford to stay at many of them, but I like sitting in their lobby and often (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I love hotels. And so I just was like really drawn to this ad, but I didn't want a full-time job because I was quite happy freelancing at the time and I didn't want to go to an, um, a, that, the office, wherever their, their office was located every day and all this kind of stuff. So, But I thought, oh, that's so interesting. And I rang the um, organisation anyway, rang the, 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 the publisher anyway, and we chatted on the phone and I said, look, I was just – I've read this, I know it's full-time, permanent, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was wondering if it might be able to be done freelance. Anyway, she was adamant that it – should not be freelance and because she had you know specific things that she needed to achieve and uh we but we started talking and I said look why don't we just have a coffee anyway because I thought oh, maybe I'll convince her right <laughs> anyway so we we had a coffee like a couple of days later and just got to know each other basically and it, it was clear that she was not interested in me for this um, hotels gig. But through that coffee, we just started tossing around book ideas. And by the end of the coffee, I'm not joking, I, we, I remember where we were sitting in Crow's Nest in Sydney at the cafe. By the end of the coffee, we had shook hands on um, – on a book that she was going to publish that I was going to write and it was about innovation and sustainability um, and it was a non-fiction book and we, I dedicated the next sort of three months of my life writing that book and and it was so – it was it, it was just something that was a spur-of-the-moment thing to have this coffee and it mm. ended up being um, a major project which I got mm. paid really well for because I got paid per word um, for an entire – I don't know. Oh, are like, you kidding no, that per word. Happens. For like a eighty or ninety thousand word book. Um oh. I know, I know. And and I, you know, had to spend three months on it. Maybe three and a half. And um and so it was like it was great. Like I'd made kind of like a year's worth of income in three months because of this coffee that I just that you know, it was started because I saw an ad about a hotel about hotels. Wow. <laughs> So you know, just keep an open mind about different ways to to get um, you know to 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 find different opportunities. I know I'm still in shock that I got paid per word, but anyway. Uh, and we're we're kind of I just we should probably explain. We're just laughing about that because generally speaking, with a project of that size, you would be given a project fee as opposed to a word rate, um, mm. because it's generally um, a lot more expensive to pay a word rate on a big project like that. Am I right? 
Yes, and also if you're wondering why, so I did not get royalties from that book, and if you're wondering why, it's because this was custom publishing, mm. and it was not going to be a book that was going to be in Dimix or in Angus at Robinson. Yeah. It was going to be specifically for you know this industry, yeah, and yeah. you know is sold directly to the industry. Uh, but it worked out a lot more. And I mean, if I got paid per royalty, I would be probably starving. <laughs> but <laughs> but I got paid, you know. Per word, so it was fine. (laughs) All right, so let's move on to Valerie Miller, who has said um, that she's listening. That yeah, she um, only discovered us more recently, and she was she is saying that she is going through the back catalogue. So thank you, Valerie. Um, I'm glad that you have discovered us. So Joanne has said, "What top tip stood out most for you?" Oh my goodness. That is a oh, seriously? Question. Yeah, I can't Just, even think. I wish you'd actually given me a little bit of warning about this. I could have prepped. Yes, sorry. Um, ah, well, there's been so many of them. There's like been th- so many. Three tips. There's like 1,200, you know, average. Mm, so I can mm. knock a few off for the ones where we didn't have any author interviews. There's, there's a 1,000 tips there to be waded through well one tip Uh, that um was not necessarily on the podcast but was from a podcast guest um and he told me this tip uh 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something um and i actually put it in the um in the in the facebook group about a couple of weeks ago um when i first started freelancing barry devola's advice to me and we interviewed Barry recently for his latest novel, Driving um, Stevie Ficasso. Uh, he he said, get out of your pyjamas first thing. And I started doing that immediately and that has been really, really useful. <laughs> that is excellent advice mm-hmm. because you can – I mean, it's one of the reasons that I choose to um, drive my children to school every day. Mm. Because it starts it, your day. It makes me get up, get dressed. Yes. Exactly. And get I into that routine. I know a guy who, um, who work, who's a freelancer and he gets up. He doesn't have kids to drive to school, but he gets in the car and he drives around the block and he drives back into his driveway. <laughs> Not even joking. <laughs> Not even joking. <laughs> oh, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't really have – I don't – I guess my – I don't really have a, a, a tip – out of all of those tips, I mean, I, I just think that the tips, my tips are always going to be the ones that resonate with me are going to be the ones where, you know, you make you make your time to write, you get yourself, it's a job, you get yourself dressed, you sit down at the computer. I think one of the best ones we ever had, and I can't even remember who said it, was get yourself a comfortable chair because you'll be spending oh, yeah. a lot of time in it. Oh, um, 100%. You know, I, 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 yeah, like there's, there's just been so much great stuff um, I think, you know, Meg Keneally had that one recently where I think we talked about it a couple of episodes ago where, you know, she grew up with Thomas Keneally and, mm. you know, it made her realise that mortals can do it. You know, those mm. are the kinds of things that really um, resonate with me. Um, as Charlotte Wood said all the way back in, I don't know, was she episode four, episode three, something like that. Oh gosh, she was oh like, yeah. you know, do the work. That yeah. Writing is work. It's not just um, – it's not just sort of like wafting about making stuff up. And I think, I think that that actually is a tip that is, is something that I think that you, you can take that on board, listen to that as a new writer and you go, yeah, 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 I'm doing the work. I'm, you know, I'm writing the book and whatever. I think it's not until you actually have 
really got into the the editing process and gone through that in a really serious way that you understand what the work is. Um, that's probably something I would say is that, mm. you know, when, she, when Charlotte Wood says do the work, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality of it, the work can be, um, it's letting go of your words to the point where you can, you know, that you can bring them to a publishable standard. And that's the work, I think. Yeah. Yep. And circling back to the chair thing, oh, I have to say <laughs> that is on a practical level, it is such good advice because I when I wrote um, Power Stories, my back hurt so much and it was just aching through the whole manuscript. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. And it was such a big investment to go get, uh, to buy a, you know, a good chair. Um, but What's I spent the money. I bought an Aeron chair. Um oh. And I spent the money and I'm, I'm not even joking, the back pain left me immediately. That's how right. obviously bad my other chair was. But immediately my back stopped hurting. Okay. So, and I still have the chair, so it was worth, you know, cost per yeah. use, it's fantastic. Yes. It was worth the investment. But let us move on move to on. our giveaway this week. Our giveaway, we have three copies of Julia Makes It Easy by Julia Morris. Julia's infectious humour is universally loved. She's the co-host of hit reality show I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here with Dr Chris Brown and one of Australia's most celebrated performers. In her new book, she's offering hilariously half-baked life advice. Julia will help you figure out the stuff you don't need to do. Brace yourself for a deluge of slacker life hacks, nice but not very bright advice, and life-changing inspiration on things like making it all about you, the importance of always proving your point, judging others, the power of negative thinking, how to say yes then cancel, complaining and complaining and much more. We have three copies to give away. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 10th of May. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. All right, let's move on to more questions. Oh, not word of the week? Are you well, just going to keep me in suspense? Well, because our next question is, Okay. What inspired the word of the week? Oh. <laughs> Did I ruin your segue? I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can tell we've been doing this for 400 episodes, can't you? We're so professional. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, Ashley has asked, what inspired the word of the week? And it was, um, I just love words. And because I love kind of bamboozling people and seeing, hey, Al, do you know this? Do you know this? <laughs> she just likes torturing. She actually actively just likes torturing me on a weekly basis. I feel like I feel like this is an important thing for everyone to understand that you are now like right in the middle of our friendship here where Valerie tortures me on a regular basis. Yes. And I'm actually, because when you look at my bookshelf, which is really a disaster at the moment, but I'm tidying it up. And mm -hmm. when I finish tidying it, I'll take a photo. Mm -hmm. um, I've got so many books that are just about words and it's just fascinating. I just love words. And I, I even have a t-shirt. I'm not even joking. I, I, where is it? Oh yeah, I've got it. Um, and it says, I love words <laughs> on, on, on my T-shirt. <laughs> it really is on a T-shirt. She's got the T-shirt, everyone, so it must be true. I have to find it. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, it's just because I love words and I love seeing whether people know the, especially the um, etymology, the history of, of words and where words come from. Mm -hmm. But 
Al. Yep. Are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> oh, after that, how could I not be? Like, you know, we've, you've been setting me up now for the last four minutes. Okay. It's Quater Centenary. That's Q-U-A-T-E-R, Quater Centenary. Do you know what it means? Look, you know, I don't want to ruin your fun here, so I'm going to say, gosh, Val, what could it possibly mean? <laughs> okay, so it's not quarter, but quater. No. Yeah. Right. So yes. there's no R, quater century. It means 400th anniversary. <laughs> oh, you shock me. <laughs> Who knew there was a word just for that? So it Who means, knew? it also means a period of 400 years. So, you know, we could be. So we, you, we, you could say that in Equator Centenary, we'll be celebrating our 23,000th episode. Oh, but we're probably not going to be you around. You could say that, but you, we're probably not going to. So let's not go there. <laughs> okay, so that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Cut, Shape, Polish – provides you with an editing framework to follow so you can produce a manuscript that's ready for publishers. After you've completed a first draft, the editing process can seem daunting and it can be hard to know where to begin. This practical course is just like having a professional editor guide you through the exact steps you need to take in order to make your story shine. From character motivations to narrative structure, themes, plot holes, dialogue and much more, this course will help you cast an objective eye across every page of your manuscript. It really is a must-have for every author. And because it's one of our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash polish. That's writerscentercomau slash polish. All right, welcome back to our 400th episode. We're so excited about this episode and we're going to continue with your questions. We have a question from Jessica who has said, I'm interested in hearing about authors' research processes. In particular, I'm working on a book that is going to involve some police protocol and I'm wondering how to go about asking these questions. For example, do I call my local police station? <laughs> that seems unlikely, but otherwise I'm not sure who to contact for the correct information. All right, fantastic. Well, in the first instance, I'm not sure what your book is about, but if it has anything to do with murder and, you know, police procedure associated with murder, I highly recommend the course Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder, because it goes through every single step of the process from premeditation to the actual murder to the what the police do, the actual, you know, police procedure um, in the way that they investigate the murder, right down to their involvement in um, any arrest uh, or, 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 or courts or, or that sort of thing. So if it has anything to do with murder, check that one out because it's all laid out there in step-by-step -step form. If it's about other stuff, then yes, it would be good to talk to an expert. And when we've spoken to other crime writers like um, L.A. Larkin and um, people who, you know, need to know information about police procedure, they have often spoken to someone they know who is in the police or was formerly mm. in the police or that sort of thing. Now, maybe they were lucky enough to know that person, but even if they're not 
It's a matter of asking your network because someone's mm. likely to know someone or know someone who knows someone mm. who is in the police or was formerly in the police, right? Mm. So that's like one way of doing it. Have you got mm. other ways to add? Well, I think because I don't um, – I don't really work in this area, so it's difficult for me to say, but just as a general research thing, the first thing I would do would be to ring the police uh, media liaison mm. because they have a media section. I would ring them mm. and say, look, I'm doing this. Um, is, you know, do you have someone I can talk to? Can you make a suggestion? I mean, because trust me, you're not the first person that's ever rung them yeah. and asked them this question. Um, yeah. I used to know a guy who worked as a media um, for New South Wales Police, and he mm. he always said that they used to get some fascinating questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I would contact the that that's where I would start, just simply because I don't know anyone in the police. I would start okay, I would do exactly what mm. you said, Val. I would like think, oh, do I know anyone, or would I can I find someone who knows someone? So I would start with that. If that didn't turn up anything for me, I would go to the media liaison for you know. Sydney police or whatever and and start there um and remembering too that like the federal police work in a different way to the mm. to the state police and all of so you kind of kind of think about who your character is and where they work and how they work um and yeah I would start with that um but yeah and the, and the other thing I think is to I think you've just got to if you're writing a crime novel set in Australia I think you've got to start reading a whole bunch of Australian based crime novels because they're different to US-based mm. crime novels. Um, the procedures are not. police procedures, yeah. So what I'm saying, the procedures mm. are not the same. Um, mm. And so you, you can't, you know, rely on watching Law and Order because <laughs> it's not quite the same setup as what we have here. Um, so, yes, yeah, so start with, uh, and in the same instance, if you are writing something set in the US, you need to kind of sort of immerse yourself in that world as well. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's. I think you have to research it in the same way, approach a research question like that in the same way that you would if you were writing a freelance article or anything like that. Mm. Start with the people you know, networks that you know, go to the next level, which would be media liaison sort of stuff, um, and then read as widely as you can as well. So the other thing too is, is there's so many non-fiction books out there, true crime novels mm. about, you know, crimes that have occurred uh, you know, in Australia or whatever, read those through, listen to podcasts. There's the, you know, there's how many of those now? Like billions of those, um, yeah. particularly cold casey kind of stuff. Um, listen to those because they will also, they just give you, like this is not going to give you a this happens and then that happens and then this happens, but it will give you the flavour of an investigation mm. and how things sort of unfold and the kind of order in which things unfold. Um, so, yeah, you if you need to immerse yourself in it in, in a whole range of different ways. Uh, but to get the facts right, you have to talk to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Universities yeah. can also be another place to start. You can contact um yes. Oh, look at me! I'm, I'm now. Now I'm start. Now I'm cooking. I've got the whole thing <laughs> mapped out here. Now um, you can. There's a lot of criminologists, you know, forensic mm. um, psychologists, all of that sort of stuff, um, and they will often make time for you as well. It's about approaching people really respectfully, yes. respectful of their time. Uh, this is what I'm doing. This is the kind of thing I would would want, would want to talk to you about. Um, you know. Do, do you have time to answer some questions for me? Can I buy mm. you a coffee? You know, that mm. kind of stuff. Like, um, and, and be aware of that people are giving you their time if, yes. if this is the case um, and be really respectful of that. Yes, and make sure you do buy them the coffee. It's not about the money. It's about the gesture. <laughs> yeah, really. 
Really? <laughs> yeah, can I pick, can I pick your brains and buy yourself and you a coffee? you can buy me the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's happened, doesn't it? It happens. We laugh okay. because it happens. <laughs> All right, hopefully that gives you a good start, Jessica. So Leah has said, I've just quit my full-time job to focus on writing. Woohoo! Any tips on getting through the, oh God, what have I done phase? Oh wow, that's a great question, Leah. Well, one was get out your pyjamas. <laughs> yeah, right. I think you can answer this one because I never, ever quit a job to, to write. I ne- I've never done that. So like to write full time, it's just not ever been how I operated. So Valerie has, however, so she can respond to this one. It's about having goals and focus, I think. I think that if you just go, oh, I'm just going to sit down and write, I mean, that's nice if you do have all the time in the world. But I think, and it depends on what you are going to write. If you're going to write um, fiction, then I think you should establish some kind of routine. A routine Mm -hmm. is vital. And so are targets. And that target could be anything from I'm going to write for X number of hours or I'm going to write until I reach X number of words. So you pick, it's up to you, maybe try them both and see what works for you but when you have a routine and focus you don't have as much time to go oh god what have I done because you're busy trying to achieve those goals Mm. so I think you need to break down I'm not sure what kind of writing you want to do but I think you need to break down um you know your your goal into uh the smaller steps and then and then work on those steps as if it's a job and which starts with the whole pajama thing, but also um, structure to your day. And 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 you know, when I first started freelancing, my friend, bless her, Kay, she would just pop around because she knew I was at home, mm. and I just had to kind of stop that because. Um, and she only worked like two blocks away. That's why it was so convenient, right? Um, and I had to stop that because it, it, this is – I was working, right? Mm. So you need to have um, structured boundaries with the other people in your life as well so that they're not thinking, oh, well, yeah, she can just go to Woolworths or mm. she can just, you know, pick up whatever. She can pick up the dry cleaning because she's not doing anything. Yes. So I think, yeah, structure, routine and goals will help you not think, oh, God, what have I done? Because you're achieving Mm. those small goals every day, yeah. That's right. So Tim has said, um, I'm struggling to find an agent overseas, so I'd be looking for information on the best avenues for finding an agent outside of Australia. I believe I have pitching down, the novels are written, just a matter of getting someone as passionate as I am to help me sell it. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm not sure I have the answer. <laughs> um, well, I do. Uh, research, 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 research. Uh, yeah. So it's a matter of, and hi, Tim. I do know who, who you are, Tim. It's very, very nice to hear from you. Yes. Um, it's a matter of looking for, you need to find agents who specialise in what you write. Um, and I believe Tim writes kind of uh, epic fantasy stuff. So you're looking for agents who are, who work in that area. And the best way to do that is to have a look, you know, in the back of uh, books that you are reading to see. Authors will always acknowledge an agent in the in the acknowledgements section. Look to see who's representing the people that you admire. Um, yes. And then, you know, Google because yes. Google is your friend here. Um, so that's one way of doing it. So you can create a bit of a, a hit list of dream agents of people that you'd like to, mm. to be in touch with. Uh, Twitter, I have to say, when it comes to this kind of stuff, Twitter is 
is all over it. Um, so I, because I contemplated a little while ago, I was considering looking for a US-based agent because my books were sort of selling in the US and stuff like that. Um, and so I just created a list. So I asked people that I knew. Uh, you know, who who they would recommend. So it's a matter of sort of like talking to any published authors that you might know um, who's representing them. Are they being represented here in Australia or overseas? How does that work? Um, uh, and then sort of like getting that sort of, you know, information from them. Look them up on Twitter. Have a look to see who's open for submissions um, because they all have that information in their Twitter bios these days. It's mm. really quite useful. It's actually a lot easier to find this kind of information now than it ever used to be. So much. Um, so have a look uh, to see, you know, who's looking for things and what they're sort of looking for. Twitter also has um, some great um, sort of, you know, hashtaggy type stuff going this uh, Pit Mad, I think, is one of them. I'm just looking it up as we speak. Um, but they have sort of, uh, you know, you can actually pitch on Twitter where where agents will post the kinds of stuff that they're looking for um, and you can actually, um, you know, post to them directly on Twitter at certain times. They have things open for that. Uh, so, like, again, I would say Google, you know, has so much information about this. It's It's... It's about tapping into the networks that are available to you. And when you're based in Australia and you're looking for someone, you know, in another country, you've got to start to think about where those people might start to congregate, um, you know, what sections of Twitter they're in. Because Twitter mm. is a huge, you know, pool, but there's a whole bunch of little puddles, you know, all within that pool. And you've got to find the puddle that's got all of those US agents in it. And they're all, once you find it, you will find that they're all in there together. Like it's it's that that's the thing I discovered when I started looking. Um, so it's it's really about research. It's about asking anyone that you've ever met um, about you know who who might that they might recommend. Um, it's about also looking at Australian agents who might have really strong overseas um, connections because that can sometimes. Uh, be a way in, and it's a, it's a lot easier to manage a relationship when you're in the same time zone. And um, agent, an agent, you know, author relationship is is very much a relationship. So, it, mm. I've, I do have friends with US agents, and one of the things they struggle with is the time difference. You know, they're waiting for things, and there's a 17 hour kind of gap between, um, you know, when they're sending mm. things and when they're getting things back. So, um, that's that's my suggestion. I I do think. Uh, social media is a great way into this kind of stuff now, and I do recommend looking for those uh, US agents there. Fantastic. That's great. Hopefully that is useful to you, Tim. Um, and, yeah, Tim's a, a great member of this community. So David has asked, and also a very similar question from Helen. So we're going to combine these questions about editing. Um, David has said, I've heard a lot about the writing process, but not so much about the editing. Read out loud seems to be a practical tip. Can you please share others? Like, for example, do you do drafts in a particular order? For example, structural edit first, then maybe pace and freshness of language, grammar and spelling last. Or do you proceed to edit all these things at the same time? Just a really short answer there. Yes, that's correct. You do structural edit first and then you do and, and so on. You do grammar and spelling last. So your instinct is we don't need to expand on that because so your instinct is correct. You don't proceed to edit all those things at the same time. You very much do big picture and then granular later. Do you aim at cutting a certain 
proportion of text, some people say 10% at least, do you do kind of brainstorming when searching for a better expression? Like, for example, writing down many options and then choosing among them, or do you use any other similar strategy? As a non-native speaker, I always find, I always struggle at finding compelling ways of saying things and often get lost and distracted when nothing pops into mind. And Helen has added, how do you edit a manuscript in a coherent way without being overwhelmed by the size of the job? Is there a process you would recommend? Do you go chapter by chapter or pull the whole thing apart and start again? So basically the editing process is wow. what David and Helen um, is talking about, which we could talk about for literally hours. So may I suggest that, yes, there is a um, step-by-step process that you can go through. Um, David has hinted at it with the, you know, you, you do you, you look at it from a big picture first and then you go down into a more granular level. Um because Alison and I can't talk for 10 hours on this, I would suggest that people look at, we've got a full on power editing process, which is outlined in the course Cut, Shape, Polish. Um, and it's up to you whether you want to check it out or not, but is there's literally 28 steps in the editing process and it handle, by the time you've gone through 28, you have fully edited your manuscript. It's, um, and it goes into all of the things that you need to do from mapping your structure, making sure you, that, you know, your percentages are right for each of the, of the turning points. It's about ensuring your characters have enough depth. It's ensuring your scenes actually belong there because sometimes they're, they're nice scenes, but they don't do anything. It's about ensuring that you um, uh, um, make sure that each character is doing the job they're meant to be doing, but it's also right down to the nitty-gritty level as well. So we can't really go through all of that because we literally would be talking for 10 hours, won't we, Al? Yeah, um, yeah. so, uh, you know, I feel like I bang on about this stuff all the time because <laughs> I, I – well, I just feel like I'm doing it all the time. Like I, I feel yes. like every time we – have a conversation on the podcast, I'm either in the middle of a structural edit or a, a copy edit or, you know, yeah. like this week I'm proofreading. Um, so, yes, it, you know, if you think story and then sentences and then down to full stop level, those are the three Those are the three levels when I do workshops that I talk about with a structural edit. Um, I have some – I'm going to put these in the show notes. So I've got some – just some like dot pointy tips, um, three tips for surviving a structural edit, how to edit mm -hmm. your own writing, five tips from me, and also how to edit your own writing, five tips from an editor. Um, but it's really about, you know, the drafting process is about dumping, you know, getting it down, getting the story down in, in whatever mm -hmm. format you, you do, whether you plan it out in advance and then write it or just the, you know, massive brain dump like I do. Um, and then it's really about, you know, you have to make sure at that point, you know, the next bit is about, you know, does this story make sense? Are the characters behaving the way they should? Um, yeah. And that's that. That's what that edit is all about. The the set the next one, the copy edit is is probably where we get down to, you know, have I put this, you know, is this phrasing correct? You know, and, mm -hmm. and do I need to say this in a different way? And is this a cliche and all of that kind of stuff? And when it comes to that sort of thing, um, I find that it's about when I read it through when I'm drafting. The read it out loud is a re is a really good tip, and I I, mm. I still you know still to this day will say that because you will hear it um, where it's not quite right, um, and then I think it's about it's as much about instinct. It's about okay, this doesn't look right. 
uh, what's going to work better. And often it comes back to the voice of the book at that point. Um, so the, it's about the point of view that you've chosen for the story. Is this a phrase, is is this phrase the way that that particular character would think? Um, so when I was writing the Mapmaker Chronicles, for instance, you know, it, it's, it's always about that I've got a a 14-year-old boy who's lived his whole life on the farm. He's seeing this world for the first time, but every single, you know, metaphor, every single simile, every single thing that happens, you know, in his mind has to come back to his experience of the world. So he tends to describe things like, um, you know, I think there's a – you know, the, he talks about, oh, he's describing, um, you know, what is essentially an elephant and he talks about it having ears like his mum's sheets on a laundry day because that's how he sees the world. So when you're mm-hmm. writing, when you're looking at that sort of phrasing for your for your story, you've got to think about it's always about your character's point of view. It's not about you showing off your mastery of language, although, of course, you know, that's all, you know, part of the deal. It's about you staying within the voice of the book, staying within the point of view of the character. It's all about character development um, and does this make sense within this character's world and experience as opposed to, you know, the best metaphor that I can think of right at this point for an elephant's ears. It's about mm. Quinn's best metaphor, if, mm. if that makes sense. So that's when, you, when you're sort of like looking at different ways of phrasing things and stuff, always, always, always bring it back to your character. Always come back to what they know, what they see, what they understand. Um, So Quinn also, you know, he has a photographic memory, but he lives in a world where photographs don't exist. So he cannot describe it like that. So I had to think of different ways to actually, um, you know, explain that process for him and what that looked like and how it presented itself to his family, who of course, you know, all thought it was magic. So, you know, it's it's that sort of idea of put yourself in the character's shoes and see the world that you've created through their eyes, and that will help you with creating original, you know, language and original metaphors, etc. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And David, with your question about do you aim at cutting a certain proportion of text? Some people say ten percent at least. It really depends because some people are underwriters, like Al's an underwriter. Yeah, I have to and, add. <laughs> yeah, and some people are overwriters. So it really depends on the individual. And some people cut you know, 50% because they realise that they're nice-sounding scenes but they actually don't do the story any justice. So It's about cutting what's necessary and that might be 50% and it might Mm. actually mean adding. Add. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Veronica has a question. My question is about the logistics of finding an agent for fiction. There doesn't seem to be many... Aussie literary agents, and a lot of them are close to submissions. What do you recommend as the best method to get an agent? Go international. My story is quintessentially Australian, and I feel it would fit a local agent best. Well, I mean, if your story is quintessentially Australian, I would say try and get an Australian agent for a start. Yeah. 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 Um, so my suggestion is that, that I honestly feel that, and I, I think that this is somewhere where you can look for opportunities. Mm. So the Australian Society of Authors, for instance, does speed dating yes. with agents. Um, speed, festivals yes. festivals right. often have the opportunity to pitch directly to agents um, and to editors and to publishers and all of that yep. kind of stuff. So, yep. yes, they are probably on their website close to submissions because they are probably like trying to read through the 150 submissions that yep. they already have. 
But those opportunities where you get to just like put yourself directly in front of them, Mm. meet them, go to just go to festivals, go to to events where you can um, because, you know, even just like uh, do not sort of, you know, shove your manuscript under the toilet door to them or anything like that, which has happened in the past to people. Um, But, you know, just meeting people at these things and they get to know your name and you often find, like I remember going to a romance writers, um, you know, conference, you know, 800 years ago and, you know, the the agents were there. They were at the cocktail parties. They were at Mm. the various things. And I remember having a conversation with someone who said, here's my card, send me your manuscript. So they are open to things. But if you take that extra step and actually put yourself in their path like that, particularly at the moment when, you know, there is a lot of, you know, like they they are busy, like 2020 was a busy year for writers. There's been a lot of submissions um, for agents, you know, to read Mm. now because everybody Mm. was busy writing manuscripts last year. Um, So, you know, put yourself in their path. That is that that is one of the the things I would say. There's online opportunities too. If you can't go to in real you know real life events, like mm. for example, I think uh, Creative Kids Tales. Hi Georgie, um, Hi, is Georgie. having a is having a festival soon, uh, and the that opportunity and it's all online. And that opportunity mm. was was you know offered to as a as a session at that sort of thing. You could book an agent Zoom you know, to pitch your mm. work. Um, I know Writers Unleashed, which is the Sutherland Shire Writers um, Festival, Festival coming up in August, and I know that's on because I'm going to it, um, is, you know, they, they have those opportunities as well. So look for the festivals and have a look to see what they're doing. And as I said, a lot of this stuff is also online now. So it's mm. you don't actually have to, you know, present yourself in the room if that's not possible for you, but you may be able to book a session. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, Shelley Unwin, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre, she got her agent when she did one of those speed speed pitching events. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. So Alyssa has said, I'd like to know how do you create longevity as an author, aside from the obvious keep writing? And part of that is what other things professional writers do that amateur writers don't. Oh, okay. Mm, mm. Great. Um, Off you go, Val. So I think that creating longevity as an author is about um, having a plan um, and it's also having, you know, an idea I'm going to produce and it's different for everyone, but maybe a book a year or whatever. So it's structuring that into your lifestyle and structuring that into your goals because also if your book does well, a a publisher is going to want to know that they're going to be able to rely on you to have a book a year or thereabouts. So mm. I think that um, it is very much about um, have, having a plan and and telling people what that plan is, telling publishers so that they know that they can rely on you. Yes, I agree with that. Um, mm. Plans are good. I, I probably should have more of a plan. <laughs> um, so I think it's also about uh, creating that platform for yourself. Longevity yes, is very absolutely. much about about, you know, creating a profile, keeping a profile. Yes. Longevity as a as a career writer is about um, being able to 
present at festivals or school talks or whatever it is that you're going to do because you get to keep that way is another way of keeping your profile up and keeping your book alive and and, and all of that sort of stuff. So Mm. the thing with becoming published is that you become published and that is a massive goal and it's brilliant and it's the most exciting day ever. And then you realise that A, you have to do it again and B, you have to do all of the other things that go with it and you have to fit that into your life as well as everything else that you've been doing. So um, being... so uh, for me is as much about, um, yes, you, you need a plan, but you also need mm. to be able to create the routine and the discipline to keep creating deadlines for yourself, to keep producing work, to be able to then also promote that work, um, yep. to uh, do sort of it, – it's, I think it's, it's important just to remember that it's a job. I guess that's what – I think that's what it basically comes back to is that it is a job. It is a – brilliant job um Mm. but there's an awful lot that goes unseen Mm. um in in sort of having that sort of career path as a writer of being able to continue to create work and to um publish work and to promote work and to um and then to you know also to keep yourself and your family you know in baked beans while you're doing it (laughs) so baked beans are very important when you've got growing boys um so (laughs) I think you know it's it's that realization that um, it's not sitting in a garret wafting about four hundred yeah. words a day. It's about actually like this is what my week looks like. This is the structure of my week. This is this is where I'm going to do my speaking work. This is where I'm going to do my promotion. Um, I'm not going to spend my whole day on social media because it's you know it's not going to work out for me if I do that. Um, so fitting in all the various aspects that you have to fit in and 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 it's a business and it's a job. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, let's move on to Sue who has said, I'd like to know how to go about getting a short story collection published. One of the stories, one of her stories, has been published and one was shortlisted. Okay, good. Well, I think Sue... Did we not just do this? Have we not just talked to someone who did this? Have we Um, not run that? Maybe we've got... We might have something coming up that might be working for that. I can't remember who ah, okay. we... Okay, so stay tuned. But we have um, interviewed authors of um, short story collections, um, Alex yeah. Pong, um, Nichols, um, yeah. uh, a bunch of people. But yeah. basically I think, Sue, if you if you haven't been published before, um, you do need almost all of the short stories because people aren't going to commission a, 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 a whole short story collection but just based on say three short stories so no. you need a whole heap of short stories of yep. course once you become nick earls <laughs> you probably don't need all the short stories ready to go um they the, the publisher might agree to publish a book of short stories with with only a handful but when you are new to it you will need all of those short stories and um I also reckon when you're new, it does need some kind of thread. It doesn't have to be a narrative thread, obviously, because they're self-contained short stories. Mm. But there kind of needs to usually be a reason why they're all in the same collection. A theme. Yes, a theme. Exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, and you would pitch it in a, in a similar way that you would pitch a, a an actual, you know, novel or manuscript. Mm. But obviously you would present short stories instead of a single manuscript. Hmm. Yes. All of the above. Yes, great. So Elisa has said, my question, maybe a silly one, is how do you keep on writing even if the story is starting to morph in a direction that you don't necessarily enjoy and you start to lose heart in your work? Do you push through and keep writing the story? Do you scrap the parts you don't like? How do you gain more confidence as a writer? 
Go, Al. That's for you. <clears throat> it's an interesting question, though, because I uh, this is like this is something that would involve. We would need to have a long conversation about this because mm. when you say you don't enjoy, is it because mm. you're not liking writing it, or is it because you know you've gone down some icky road in the story that you weren't expecting? Because um, there's, there's, that's a, they're two quite different questions. I can honestly mm. tell you that I get halfway through every book and don't enjoy writing it because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is just like, really? What am I doing mm. here? I'm wasting my life. This is going nowhere. Why am I bothering? This is called the middle of the book. And the only thing that keeps me pushing through that is the fact that I know that I've done it before and every single time it's been the same. So you start to recognize, you know, your patterns. But there's always going to be a point in a book where you, where, you're, it, it, where it becomes work, where it becomes hard work. Um, you know, you kind of get over that initial joy of this is great and my story is brilliant and my characters are amazing and then you sort of get to the middle of the book and it's like, well, how do I get to the end? Because I've got a whole – I've got another 50,000 words to get through mm. before I get to the end of this book and I don't know, you know, what's going on. So if it's going in a direction that you don't like, my suggestion would be that you plan it like – Write, write yourself a little dot point of where you think it will go from here and decide if, you, if you're if you happy with that. Um, and if you're not, rework it. Go back and work out where it started going down that road and mm. change the path. You can do that. Like you're, you're the writer. You get to write whatever you want. Um, so whatever you change is going to have to be um, in keeping with the character. It's always going to have to come back to what the character would do under these circumstances but if the character's made a decision, you know, to go down a path and it's not taking you anywhere, um, you can backtrack. You can go back to the point where that decision was made and you can make a different plan for that character. You can think about what else could happen, how else might this work. Um, but it may also just be that the character um, that you've created is not three-dimensional enough. Maybe they need um, you know, do you know what their what their main weaknesses are? Are they too perfect? I often find that I end up, you know, in 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 a mess in stories sometimes because, you know, my character is is not quite hasn't quite baked. You know, there's something that's not quite there that's not that's that's missing. And so, um, what that generally involves for me is a good long walk around the the block with uh, poor old Procrasty Pop, um, mm-hmm. where I sort of think about the character more and I start to think a little bit more about. You know what do they? You know what makes wakes them up in the middle of the night in a sweat, and what sort of you, you need to get really into the character and what their what their flaws are as much as what their you know their strengths are. Um, and I often see this when I teach creative writing courses: is that you know I'll get this list of this laundry list of what this character can do, and they're amazing, and they're this and they're that and they're the other. And I'm like, okay, but but you know what's the weakness? Where's the weakness? Um, mm-hmm. Because the weakness is where you're really going to find the most interesting parts of your story is is exploiting, poking that weakness constantly is where, you know, your character is going to have to act in different ways. So um, I think you've got to think about why you're not enjoying it. Are you not enjoying it simply because it's got hard and you're not quite sure what to do next, in which case maybe you need to sit down and do some planning? Um, Are you not enjoying it because, you know, your character's made a decision that's really not, not working for you in some way? And in some ways, 
you you don't have to like what your character does for the story to be good. So you've got to sort of ask yourself the question of whether this is actually about you as a reader as opposed to you as a writer. Um, So, yeah, it's really like what are you not enjoying about this? And um, if you do some planning, if you do some rethinking of some of the things that have happened, you know, can can you keep going forward with it? Sometimes, you know, you you get to a certain point in the story and just think this is not working. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not working, in which case you put that character aside for a while and maybe they just need to be in a whole different book. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. So it's possibly not very helpful, but I you've really got to get to the crux of yes. why aren't you enjoying this? And remember that you will not always enjoy every single day of writing. It is of not course. always fun. <laughs> Trust me. That's great. Okay, so our penultimate question is from Amanda who has said, my question is about memoir. Is there a use-by date on subjects slash topics? I'm considering writing about an adventure I had 30 years ago. So short answer to this one, no, there isn't a use-by date provided the adventure was interesting because if you were writing, say, about, you know, 30 years ago you went down a Hume Highway from Sydney to Melbourne and saw some interesting things, I could not be more bored. But if it was 30 years ago, you went down the Hume Highway and from Sydney to Melbourne and this exciting thing happened or this interesting thing happened and then you discovered you were adopted and then you discovered that, you know, your spouse was having an affair and then you just, you know, whatever, then that's interesting. I mean, think mm. about all of the memoirs that are being written now that's still set in the war and are set in, you know, yeah. um, historical times. So, no, there's, there's no use by date. Um, but as long the, as the, the story still needs there. to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, from Joanne, um, one of the, uh, sorry, um, fresh back from Sydney Writers Festival, I have a question about entering your manuscript into competitions. One of the best, one of the Sydney Morning Herald best young Australian novelists, Kate Kruimink, said she entered her manuscript, which she finished with 20 minutes to spare. My question can you enter the first draft of your manuscript into major award competitions? Well, you can. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you can do anything. You can, you can do whatever you want. Submit a piece of rubbish in, and <laughs> you can you're put allowed. In anything you like. Yes. Um, but would you want to? Idea? Is the question. Yeah. Yes. Not. Not necessarily. I mean, if you mm. want to give your manuscript the best possible chance, and okay, yes. she finished it with twenty minutes to spare and a round of applause, but mm. that's pretty unusual. Um, for most mortals, for most novels, yeah. your first draft is not your best draft. You should you should no. always try and submit your best, especially if it's a major award competition. Mm. Mm. Hope that helps, Joanne. I mean, if you think your first draft is the bee's knees and is the best thing you've ever written, go for your life. But otherwise, it's probably a good idea to try and improve it um, and submit that. I because so. people aren't going to read it going, oh, yes, I know it's a first draft. I know that you can do so much better. They won't know that. Um, they're no. going to just judge you on the words that are on the page. They are. All right. Oh, my goodness. That is a whole heap of questions. Thank you, everyone, who submitted your questions. It's really interesting to see what people are thinking. And, of course, we love um, uh, answering them for you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh. So, Al, oh, my God. Yes. I Thank you. To you too for being such an incredible partner in crime over 400 episodes. Haven't we had a lovely time? Oh we are Batman goodness. and Robin. Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch. Um, 
Cagney and Lacey. Cagney and Lacey, yes. <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, no, it didn't work out well for them. Delma and Louise. Oh, no, that didn't, oh, didn't work out well for them. Oh, no. We are the ones where it worked out really well, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think what they are. Anyway, um, so what are you doing in the coming week? Uh, right. What am I doing? Well, I am uh, proofreading. I'm down to the full stops bit of uh, The Wolf's Howl, a Maven and Reeve mystery number Woo-hoo! two, which is very exciting. Um, and the other thing I'm doing, and speaking of, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know even know what I'm speaking of, um, okay. I'm launching a new podcast. Yes, how exciting. I know. Uh, Tell everyone. Which is very, very exciting. So the Your Kid your kids, <laughs> your kids next read podcast, yep. which I'm going to be co-hosting with uh, Megan Daly, or yeah. not Val, as <laughs> she's become become wow. known in my head because we um, <laughs> we recorded an episode and it was so bizarre for me to be <laughs> podcasting and not speaking to you. Um, <laughs> it was really funny. And so, yes, Your Kids Next Read, uh, my co-host will be Megan Daly, the amazing celebrity teacher, librarian, slash yes. blogger, slash, you know, all round, author, slash all round good egg. Um, yes. And we will be uh, speaking about, you know, obviously children's books, um, all things children's books, uh, all the way from picture books up to board books even. She loves a good board book. Board books mm. up to YA. Um, and we are launching – you know, very soon. I haven't actually got got the date (laughs) exactly sorted just yet. Um, And yeah, so I'll be doing, I'll be doing that, which is kind of weird because clearly, you know, 400 podcast episodes is just not enough. I need to add more podcasting to my life. Actually, I'm just trying to keep up with you because how many have you got now? Oh, two, oh, yeah, three, you. yeah. Three, I don't four. know. I've lost count. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> see, so she's she's out there, sort of like you know, mixing it with other people, and so so am I, right? This is a non-monogamous, <laughs> so cool. a non-monogamous podcasting relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Free love in the podcast world. Uh, yeah, Wonderful. so I hope you guys will join me. I'll have a bit more information, hopefully, about that next week um, or next episode because I should have some indication of exactly what's what's happening then. But yes, I'm launching a new podcast. What about you, Val? What are you doing this week? Well, as you, I kind of hinted at it before when I said I was going to be tidying that shelf of um, all my books on writing. Mm-hmm. I'm not just tidying that shelf. It's, I've just got so many books. I'm sure you can imagine it's like ridiculous and they're everywhere around the house. They're everywhere in the office And it's my mission in the next week to 10 days is to get them in some semblance of order because they start off in some semblance of order. And honestly, over time, especially as more books arrive, and I'm constantly buying books because I go to my local bookshop all the time. I have their little cake and I have my tea um, and I'm constantly buying books. And they're just, it's just like book Armageddon here. So Mm. I need to, I'm wrangling them. Because I need mm. to, I need some order in my brain, and of course, that's otherwise known as procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> but I think but I'm being quite noble. I feel like it's practical procrastination, though. Yeah, don't you I'd think? Say procrastination so. I think with so. purpose is that a yeah? Is that why a not? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Let's, go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. All right, where do we find you online, Al? 
Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>